Hey, 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 squirrel friend. Hey, Louie. Oh, Gavin, I just had to throw that in there. You know, we are recording on the first day of Pride Month. Goodness. Um, It is, what a day, what a year, what a life to be LGBT (laughs) um, and all the other things too, babe. Um, I have to say, you know, I've... I famously am part of the New York um, uh, gay marching band. Yes, um, that's not our that's not our real name, but we're we're go we're going through like a, <laughs> that, that's uh, your name in like a Sam Raimi Spider Man film though. That's right? The, yeah. Oh, the it's New York, the New York gay marching band. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Uh, but you know, I, the marching band has been around for forty years now, and the the name is the Lesbian and Gay Big Apple Corps, and we're going through um, a, a change. You know, people are saying like, let's be more inclusive. Let's change the name to include. Um, all the colors of the rainbow, and um, so I, I, I don't know where I, why I brought this up or where I'm going with it, but uh, oh, because I said Happy Pride, that is for all of us. Yes, um, and uh, I, I'm excited to be here with you today because we have such a good episode, such a good subject, um, an icon of our people. Oh, very um, much so. I don't think I realized how much an icon of our people until you know, know. we start doing our little digging, like little moles yes. that we are, and just pulling yes. facts out. And, yes. Yeah. Um, Hi, everyone. This is The Mixed Reviews. We're a film podcast in which we take a film subject, such as an actor, director, or mini-genre, and we decide to comb over every book that we can and tell you uh-huh. all the facts, facts, facts. And then we're like, ooh, no. And then, yay, this is great. It's like, oh, she did? Uh-uh. Mm-mm. What? Wait. Hate the- <gasps> oh. Hate- Dramatic gas? Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> and sometimes, beautiful gowns. Beautiful. Sometimes it's just beautiful gowns. Beautiful gowns. gowns. Um, we also, Gavin, we're talking earlier about how our show, which has now, we've been doing this for years now. Yeah. Um, it's for a certain person. It is for a specific crowd. Um, we are not the show for every film lover out there. I, and you know yeah. what? That's fine. That's fine. That's, that's great. Uh, we have a specific lens, and you know what? It is specifically a queer lens, um, and I love it. And I love our little fandom and our 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 um, our listeners who come here for the uh, the discourse, the love <laughs> of all these these fun people that we've been talking about these past couple of years. It's so funny because every time I watch. Mm. Mm-hmm, and, mm-hmm. You know, it begins when they they say, you know, we discuss whatever we want because it's our show, not yours. And I kind of love that about our show. I mean, we do solicit suggestions and we do appreciate yes. when they come in and we love doing them and, and researching them, especially when we have a guest and the guest is really passionate as well. But in the end... You know, we do mm-hmm. things the way we want to do them. And so I think it's really funny that we have a show that can go from like gay icon Barbara Streisand to Chris Rock <laughs> yeah. and and not bat an eye and just be like, yeah, yeah this is what we're doing. Hope you enjoy. Please yeah, because enjoy. guess what? We all like live in this culture together, you know, like even though if it's not your cup of tea, it's like, yeah, I know who Chris Rock is. Yeah, I've I've watched you know, Madagascar, whatever it is, like, we all have our relationship to these things. And so we're able to kind of like, dive in and really taste all of the flavors of Hollywood. Um, and see, like, that sucked. And you know, like, <laughs> or you know what? Yeah, I fucking love that. And it still holds up. Or I love that. And it kind of sucks now. Yeah. Um, because or, and, and that's, or this thing <laughs> I've always heard sucked. 
Yeah. Totally fucking rules. Yeah. And you know what that's called? Growth. Growth. Absolutely. Growth. We're all for growing here <laughs> um, on the next reviews. Speaking of Chris Rock, um, he was our last episode. We asked you guys to go online and vote for your favorite Chris Rock performance. Um, it was a tie. Uh, my pick, CD4, came in at 19%. Um, other came in at 23%. And we had like a range of stuff going on in other. Dogma, two days in New York. Um, top five. Uh, I think, I mean, <laughs> there was a lot of, it was mixed, is what I'll say. <laughs> Tied for first place was Good Hair, which was your pick, and Madagascar um, with 29%, which I think, you know, that which kind of speaks to uh, what people have talked or seen um, the most of his work. Uh, Madagascar, far and away, is what is paying for his children's college <laughs> yeah absolutely and i yeah i just think it's the most widely seen i was surprised good hair i would have if i had, had been a betting man i would have placed money on good hair coming in dead last so i was really surprised i do hope people enjoy that but also once again you know this is a great opportunity to seek out cb4 it's really funny and totally it's worth really your time f- yeah really funny and I, especially if you're big into hip-hop um and rap uh, I think it's a, a kind of a touchstone of that era and, like, you know, the early uh, MTV days and stuff like that. So but it's, it's also very cool. just really fucking silly. And <laughs> it's so silly. <laughs> and I love it's that. So, yeah, yeah. It's 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 worth your your, your watch. Um, thank you, Chris Rock, for all your service. We are moving on. Let's get to our subject today, who is such an icon, a legend, yeah. a top mm-hmm. tier of motherfucking queen. Yes. Louis, who are we talking about today? Honey, it is close and cigar. It is Glenn Close. <laughs> um, yeah, I, we, well, first of all, we are talking about Glenn Close because one, she's an icon. Two, uh, Cruella is out, which just made us immediately, obviously, think of the iconic 101 Dalmatians, her performance as Cruella right. But I, But I love that we were both kind of like silly, like, teehee, what if we did Glenn Close while Cruella comes out? And then it's like, oh, she's no, an we're... executive producer. Oh. <laughs> and so. Glenn Close is a smart bitch. Okay? Yeah, exactly. Glenn Close is like, I'd like to make some coin during the pandemic. Okay. Yeah. Um, what is your like relationship to Glenn Close? Like, what did, what, when you think of Glenn, what do you think? Well, see, and it's so funny because I came t- into this episode maybe a little bit reverse from Chris Rock, where I went into Chris Rock thinking he's a comedian. You know, I haven't seen that many of his comedies, but he's going to be so much fun. And I was a little, I didn't, I didn't love it as much as I could have. And yep. Glenn Close, the other, I was. I was like, oh, I know, you know, I know Glenn Close's work. She's very serious and she's nominated mm-hmm. for everything. And, you mm-hmm. know, she's maybe next to Meryl Streep, our greatest living actress working. And, mm-hmm. and uh, you know, but I got to say, she's so much fun. And I think it's yeah. because she doesn't seem to come into any role with any preconceived notion. She is... You know, I kept in the research for this, I kept running into over and over again, people saying you never catch Glenn Close acting. Mm. And I think that's so true because she really embodies every performance she plays, whether it's something very serious and realistic um, to something more 
slightly outrageous like fatal attraction to the to the like high tier camp of Cruella DeVille in the 101 <laughs> oh, Dalmatian Billy Elegy. <laughs> Pretty close. Um and <laughs> so you know, I was I was I was really fascinated in watching her stuff being like, wow, she is it's going to be hard to pick a, a one star review cuz she's really throwing everything whole hog into right what she's been given. Yeah, and I think that's what I when I think of Glenn Close, I think and it's funny you say that because when I think of Glenn Close, I think what I'm going to get is acting, you know, like <laughs> I am I'm going to get the hillbilly elegy. Like I I didn't no one went into that movie being like, "Ooh, I can't wait for her subtle performance." Like <laughs> you know, I and so it was surprising to find those spots in her career where she is turning it down, you know, and she's being I was surprised seeing her being soft in a lot of places and that she does have this wide range of like tools to use um, because I think the, uh, the not not the cliche, but the expectation is that like, oh, I'm going to get a Glenn Close performance like, you know, um, like Cruella, like uh, Hillbilly Elegy. Um, for whatever reason, that's the thing that. I associate with her. And so I I had not seen a lot of her work. We have gone through some of her um, movies from this podcast. We um, saw her in Fatal Attraction for our Michael Douglas. I rewatched The Natural, which we saw for Robert Redford. And so she's been around. She's been in the periphery of our podcast. But this is the first time we are taking a look just at her. Um, and, she, and you're right. She is one of the most uh, decorated, prolific actresses we have. And Honey, the range. Right. Who knew? I, again, I had, she can be silly. She can be soft. She can be big. She can be loud. And I, I think uh, part of that is, is she loves the work. You know, she's a mm-hmm. theater actor. She's ever since she was a little kid, she's been like, I want to do this thing. I'm going to do it. And so, yeah, obviously, especially an actor as decorated, as venerated as her, the paycheck is probably pretty dang good. But you get the feeling that she would still do it regardless. Mm-hmm. Yeah, totally. Um, she's not going to be ignored. No. Uh, <laughs> the Oscars. <laughs> Hello? Um, we'll talk about oh, it. We'll talk about yeah. it. Okay, so why don't we jump into our rewind of Miss Glenn Close. Glenn Close, she was born March 19th, 1947. She is from Greenwich, Connecticut. If you know anything about Greenwich and or Connecticut, it is hoity-toity, socialite, uh, you know, and you think of uh, Martha Stewart. Thank you. Wow. I had a full brain fart. All I could think of was Martha's Vineyard. And I was like... (laughs) Ah, yes. Our good friend, Martha. Martha's Vineyard. Vineyard. (laughs) Yes. Martha Savineyard. Correct. Savineyard. I listened to a lot of interviews with her talking about her time growing up in Connecticut. And everyone just being like, oh my God. So you must have been like a socialite, debutante. And she was like, that was around, but that really wasn't our life. Like she's like, I didn't go to society balls. I didn't do any of that. She talks about her childhood of like running around on a farm. She used her imagination a lot. And she was just a lot of playing as a kid. Um, And and she said uh, that playing, that that want of coming up with characters, being somebody else is really what informed her acting career. We were lucky in my early childhood to be at my grandfather's farm in Connecticut and 
We spent our time, I had my older sister Tina, and Billy and Dougie Wagner from next door, and we were the gang. And we would pretend from dawn up to the sunset. And I love pretending and, you know, all what comes out of the imagination. And I think um, I, it just seemed like a natural segue to, to do it in life. I mean, it sounds silly, but I honestly think it's something that I've always felt I could do. I wanted to, like, preface, like, I feel like everything I've heard of her say, she's... Everything I read and, like, listened to her talking about her growing up, there's, like, this aura of, like, shame, and she feels so uncomfortable talking about it. Right. To cut to the chase, she essentially grew up in a cult. Um, Her parents, um, you know, her father went to the Congo and was... Casual. Right. Casual, casual. Um, And he was a physician there. um, And... They, her parents kind of just like quickly fell into, and I, I just recently heard her talk about this. She said her parents' marriage was not in a good spot. They were vulnerable, as people who fall into cults are. Um, and so they um, joined up with, it's called Moral Rearmament, or MRA. And this was when she was seven years old. Um, and the movement... She said she knew it was very conservative, very limiting. The MRA, as far as I can tell, is mostly just kind of like a thing of like, no matter what religion you are, be better, but also like listen to what we have to say and like be yeah. better in the way that we say it. So it's kind of like, very, like literally, if you think of like a generic cult, like here it is. It was incredibly destructive for all of us. Um, I was in it. My parents got into it when I was seven. And I got out of it when I was 22 and went to, uh, I left, demanded, I just left and went to college. Wow. Yeah. So, yes, I had had nothing in my toolbox except I could act. It dictated every aspect of her life. They told them what to wear, what she was allowed to say. Um, Their headquarters or one of their big, like, um, spaces was in Switzerland. So she spent time in Switzerland. Uh, she was very kind of like international as a child. It wasn't until late in high school that she came back to the U.S. That was at Rosemary Hall yeah. in, in, in 1965. Oh, God. I listened to the Mark Marin interview with her. And he asks her, like, where did you learn how to sing? You have such a beautiful voice. And she's like, I don't want to talk about it. I don't want to talk about it. And it's literally because she learned how to sing with Up With People. Right. Which was a singing group associated with this cult it's through this you know mra's cult that she ends up married her first time um she gets she gets married to cabot wade in 1969 she has called it everything um that would be the hallmark of an arranged marriage and that marriage only lasts till 71 um when she decides to cut ties with mra this is her first also taste with acting because they were doing plays. Um, and so the plays and all the music was mission type music and mission type art, always with the values of joining the cult. You know, I mean, we can laugh about it, but it was, it was incredibly traumatic. And I, no. and I finally, I finally left. And I, at 22 years old, I went to William and Mary and uh, became a freshman at 22. It wasn't easy for my parents to talk about, certainly my father. Mm. Um, but I guess I've made my career figuring out 
the whys of behavior. And I did the same thing with my parents. And I've learned more and more about them and more about what their situation was and how vulner vulnerable they were at certain times. So I think I really understand why they were so uh, vulnerable to a group like that. So she had kind of like a hard time and hard relationship with her parents and she has a couple siblings as well who are all going through this together all having a different kind of experience and, and, and how to like deal with it um but so she's 22 and she um attends the college of William mary and she want and that's in um virginia and she decides to double major in theater and anthropology and she just says she lived in the theater building yeah she like slept ate drank all of theater in her time there. And that was, um, you know, she, she never went to like quote acting school. Um, she was at a liberal arts college and she said, you know, one semester you're the lead the next semester you're doing fucking makeup and costumes. Like it was the absolute quintessential liberal arts theater experience. Um, which I think like supremely informs her, her entire career, you know, especially kind of, coming out of William and Mary, she tells a story a lot where she sees a video or a TV show of Catherine Hepburn. Yeah. It's a Dick Cavett interview, actually. Inspiration hits, like the light bulb goes on. She's like, oh, I want to be Catherine Hepburn. I, you know, <laughs> she was like, Catherine, she describes ha Catherine Hepburn as being like an original, as a, an actress who is doing it her way. And she wants to emulate Catherine um, so much so that she says in her first audition at um, The World According to Garp, she does like a Catherine Hepburn yeah. impression. She said it's genuinely the worst audition yeah. she's ever given. But the the director said he saw through it, but he agreed. Yeah. So I gave probably the worst audition of my life. I was not good at auditioning, but George told me later that it was probably the worst audition he'd ever seen because I was kind of trying to talk like Catherine Hepburn. <laughs> that's jumping ahead a little bit, but that's kind of funny. And also, like, this shows how important Catherine Hepburn is to her kind of, like, uh, genesis. Speaking of jumping ahead, have you ever... Did you see any clips in your research of her talking about getting a letter back from Catherine Hepburn. No. It's the sweetest fucking thing, and I will put in a sound clip right here. Dear Glenn Close, a great big hug for your sweet contribution. I'm glad I persuaded you when you were a mere child to join this terrible profession. <laughs> this terrifying profession. And let's face it, this delicious way to spend your life. With affectionate thanks, Kate Hep. Lovely, lovely, lovely. You love this. I mean, you know what? And that's icon supporting icons. Okay? Yeah, absolutely. That's what we like to see. She is at the end of her time um, at William and Mary, and she is wanting to, you know, go to New York. New York is the theater mecca, and her senior year of college, she was nominated to uh, to do like auditions at. Uh, a resident theater association um, and doing like theater professionally. Uh, she, she got a call back and she did three plays with, at the Helen Hayes theater. Um, and that's where she really is just like 
boom, taking off. She talks about how at the time it was, you know, Meryl was doing Broadway stuff. Kevin Klein was doing Broadway. Like all these, like her um, peers, uh, that's John Lithgow, like all these people she would work with again later in her career. um, They're also getting their start. So it's like really kind of ripe, full of energy. She is doing, you know, off-Broadway stuff in the seven like 70s and 80s um but it's she does um barnum in 1980 is like the kind of breakthrough moment um she not only gets a tony nomination for that the more consequential aspect of that is george roy hill who was the director of the world according to garb casual goes to see barnum um and he sees glenn and says oh shit, I need her to audition for this movie. And boom, there you go. A star is born. Yeah, as we previously mentioned, she tanks that audition, but he still wants her in that role. And so she gets cast as Robin Williams' mom, even though she's only four years older than him. I know, crazy. And yeah, this movie... Did you see World According to Garp? <laughs> I sure did. I sure oh, did. Oh boy. What are you... Well, tell me, Gavin, tell me. I, uh, so World According to Garp is a is a comedy drama that's a, about Robin Williams' character who's like a man who's sort of stifled by his mother, uh, who is this kind of caricature of feminism. She creates, she writes this book that becomes sort of the Bible of these sort of militant feminist colonizers. And, you know, you're basically supposed to follow his life and her life as they're sort of intertwined. Uh, it's based off the John Irving novel uh, from 1978, which I think I best heard described once by John Stewart as saying, there's a boy in New England and he meets a girl and then there's incest and a bear walks in. And that's, <laughs> <laughs> and that's sort well, of what this movie is. Cause like there, there's like weird, just not funny moments that are clearly supposed to be funny. Like Robin Williams and his wife are buying a house and a plane crashes into it. And his wife is like, we shouldn't take it. And he's like, well, we should A plane already crashed into it. What's the chances of that happening again? Yeah. Uh, Yeah. It's, it's full of that. Plus like the, the feminist portion is so misguided and ill-advised and it's such a caricature of what actual feminism is. Um, like his mother, Glenn Close's character rapes a man in order to impregnate herself with Garp because she knows that that man is dying and therefore won't be a father to be around for Garp and she'll be able to raise him alone. At least there is a character in the film that acknowledges that because I was very nervous when she told the story. I was like, oh no, we're supposed to think this is a good thing. And the man she's telling it to is like, You raped that man. He was dying. I wanted a child. Seemed like a good way to have one without the bother of a husband hanging around who had legal rights to my body. So one night when I was on duty and the wounded and maimed were all asleep, I went to him. He was asleep, but his erection was there as always. I removed my undergarments and climbed on top of him. He woke up then, said the only word other than his name that I ever heard him utter. He said, good didn't take very long, and that once was all that was needed. You raped him. You raped a dying man. Are you all right? No. Yes. The movie, to me, is clearly not in any reality that I know. Um, right. 
like, and, and maybe it's, I, I don't know. There's like a whole thing where she's like, sex workers? What? What? Now, why would you want to do that? Let me interview you. And I was like, what? Like, and so the plane of it all, the like compound, the whole like, we're supposed to be like, oh, Garp is the real writer, but like no one likes him. And his mom just is right. like, whatever. And she's so successful. Uh, yeah, I, 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 I didn't take that movie seriously. <laughs> yeah, um, I mean, I didn't take it seriously either, but I also didn't like it. <laughs> that was the- so that's fair. That's fair. Um, yeah. Well, guess what, bitch? She gets uh, first her debut, and she gets that Oscar yeah. nomination. Glenn has uh, this this like hot streak. It, it was you know in the early eighties. So debut with Garp, um, the big chill. Literally right after that in eighty three. Um, so Garp is eighty two. Big Chill eighty three. Um, and the Big Chill like again, huge success. Uh, another Oscar nomination for her. Written with uh, her in mind. Nonetheless. Yes, yes. Um, she had said she wanted to be the Mary Kay Place um, character. Um, but they said <laughs> they said you're a mom, and that's what we're having you do. Be yeah. a mom. I wrote you this. Aren't yeah. you happy? <laughs> um, I had never seen The Big Chill before. Gonna be honest, um, it def for everything that I've read and like heard about this movie, it was like iconic for the time. Like it was kind of like this breakthrough yeah. of like, uh, you know, uh, 1983 young people, which would be boomers now. You know, so it was a very right. um, uh, and the movie, like the conceit of the movie, is very simple. Like one of their friends has committed suicide. And they are coming together for the funeral and kind of hang out for like a week together. Um, yeah, famously Kevin Costner, even though you never see him. Yeah, yeah. Um, I don't know. I, I I thought it was probably not for me, but it's like I, I think it's. I'm I'm curious if it, uh, you know in our Danny Glover episode we talked about Grand Canyon. That's also Lawrence Kasdan. Mm. Did you see any shades of that? Because I definitely I like Big Chill more. I don't love Big Chill either. I've never been a fan, um, especially after my, in film school, my senior thesis film, my teacher, okay. Okay. prior to reading my senior thesis script, was like, oh, well, it really sounds like the Big Chill. And I was like, it's nothing like the Big Chill. How dare you? <laughs> it's the small defrost. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. <laughs> I shouldn't have named it that. I should have known better. <laughs> but... But I'm just curious, contextualizing it through that. Do you yeah. do you think? Yeah, I mean, well, I, th- I think I think Lawrence Kasdan has an issue of of approaching these larger ideas with a very sort of he, small. Yeah, he is trying to do these big think movies. I mean, because Grand Canyon was like, I, it's like, oh no, it's it's all this midlife crisis shit. You know, it's all like yeah. I want to explore. You know, what does it mean? And you know, Big Show I think is more successful because it's not like. They're not trying to figure out like the politics of like how to be a good liberal or whatever the fuck. Um, the big chills are just like, I think everyone can connect with like the idea of like, I should have maybe been better friends or stayed connected better with this person who fell out of my life. There's no deeper interrogation. I think Glenn and the Mary Kay Place, I think, have the um, most interesting things to do in the movie. Everyone else, it's like, oh no, I'm a rich and famous TV star. And that <laughs> sucks. I'm like, okay. But again, like, Probably not for us. Like, I'm, I'm sure the boomers fucking loved it. It spoke to them oh, and yeah. their generation. You should be here. 
feel like we should have had a chair for Alex. Of course, we don't have enough food, but... I don't know, this is all so familiar, and I, I love you all so much. I know that sounds gross, doesn't it? No, it doesn't. I feel like I was at my best when I was with you people. So she, again, gets a nomination. She becomes the third actor to receive a Tony, Emmy, and Oscar nomination all in the same year after Lisa the Big Chill. Um, because she is still kind of like wrapped up in the, the Tonys of it all. I mean, she literally does these two Oscar-nominated roles and then goes back to Broadway to do The Real Thing, directed by Mike Nichols, um, gets the Tony Award. And so she's staggering all a lot of this, like, heavy lifting work. She's on fire. She really is. Um, after, you know, she does The Real Thing, she goes back to Hollywood because Robert Redford had seen her on Broadway and was like, she is going to play my mom in The Natural. Not, not her mom. Not mom. The, love the wife. Love interest. Yeah. Um, but it, I say mom because it's she. She does play a mother in the natural, um, and she has again that kind of like tender, soft, motherly vibe, which I'd never associated with her. But these first three performances are very that, um, especially the natural, where she's like kind of this ethereal angel woman who like saves the day when she you know <laughs> when robert redford sees her um we talked about that in our robert redford episode um i think it's kind of a bonkers movie um uh, like it's very like sports fantasy like yeah. white man wish fulfillment which beautiful gals I, you know we can't get to every film when we do this and for some reason i i think it's because it's a sports movie i had left that off my even though i know sure. it's an iconic yeah. Uh, Robert Redford performance. I had not seen it, and so I prioritized it this time because I was like, well, "This is gonna be my last chance." And that movie is bonkers. That mm-hmm. movie yeah. is not. Yeah. That movie is that movie is about a magic bat that wants revenge. A yes. woman, woman killing baseball players like werewolves yes. with her yes. with her silver bullet gun. And I mean, it's magical realism. I I was telling Dan the plot of the movie, and he was like, "Oh, that sounds like Field of Dreams. It just seems like baseball movies are just." Um, magic it's magic well they're just uh, fantasies for straight boys you know and i was like oh okay yeah yeah i mean baseball is like the american pastime the mythos that's like it means so much to so many people and when i say that i mean like so many fucking straight white people uh and and hey listen i and that being said i actually find the natural a very enjoyable watch you know (laughs) i think it's like a three-star movie so like i was like i had fun the music I want, I is want, insane. You know? Like, oh my god, the cinematography! Like at the end with the, the, cinematog- the lights. Well, she she said that she thinks she only got nominated for an Academy Award for this movie because of right. the cinematography. Caleb Deschanel invented this way of lighting that where she you know she makes it sound so magical. I honestly, as a person who's been behind the scenes, think it's just the fact that he was able to diffuse the light against her white dress and have everybody else dressed in dark colors but she said you know he made her glow and stand out in a crowd and really um you know zoe deschanel's father deserves the credit for her academy award nomination but now that's adorable um (laughs) get out of here (laughs) will not um i i did watch the stone boy which came out in 1984 it's a very small little movie 
Um, what a bummer that film is. <laughs> very, very bummer. Bummerella. But again, she's a mom in that movie. And so after that, she's like, enough. I cannot be just playing mom roles. I don't want to be typecast. Um, she does Ma- Maxi in 1985. Saw that. Hated it. Uh, man- it's on YouTube, though. And I I, I didn't hate it. Uh, I think it's a curio. I think it's a fun little, like... If you, Curio if you is a very good word. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. Because it, it's one of those things you're like, huh, hmm. someone in their career made yeah. this movie. And yeah. it's like her and Mandy Patinkin. And you, just to give I, people an idea of what Maxie is about, it's about the ghost of a silent film star, also played by Glenn Close, who possesses Glenn Close and wants to uh, fulfill her wish of being a, a star. An and Glenn actress. Close, it, yeah, hey, exactly. What's the deal? I want to be an actress. <laughs> it's very Why that. St- it's very that. Look, I know you have your problems. I know you have your desires. Fine. I have mine. So does Jan. You remember Jan? Nice woman. The woman I love. Not that I expect you to care too much about her. All I want to know is why you have decided to come back. And then I'm going to kill you. You can't kill me. I'm dead. The best thing you could do is kill your wife's body, which ain't a bad idea. I mean, it does run real fast, though. I gotta give her that. I didn't like it. Not for me. Um, I, 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 def- think, I think there's some merit in there. But, you know, but once again, this is what I'm saying about Glenn Close, about, like, like when I watch something like that, I'm like, this is Glenn Close? I'm like, yeah. this is the... Per- I was like, wow. And I think she loves that stuff. I think she, she appreciates for every, you know, the wife out there, she wants to make a crazy movie like maxi fair very fair um she does jagged edge in 1985 with jeff bridges jeff bridges looks so fucking hot in this movie um I, honestly <laughs> like tell i was me. watching that movie and i was like should i take off my shirt what is mm-hmm. happening <laughs> mm-hmm. I, I was yeah also he's the editor of the san francisco times and i was like lol um I guess in the '80s, <laughs> the newsrooms did look like that. Like, bless, they don't look like that no more. So, Jagged Edge is a movie in which Jeff Bridges is accused of murdering his wife, and mm-hmm. Uh, mm-hmm. she, Glenn Close, is the defense attorney. Who, you know, t- does she believe him? Does she not believe him? Is yeah, she going to fuck also, him anyways? <laughs> yeah, it's one of like I, I generally it's, like this movie, but like, yeah. Also, it's like God, the whole like, does she have to fuck him? Like, but, but it's it's Joe Esterhouse. It's Joe Joe Esterhouse wrote it. He wrote Showgirls. He wrote Basic okay, Instinct. Well, there yeah, you go. Exactly. So I mean, of course it, she has to fuck him. It's just like the this this man's wife just died, and like <laughs> and like Jeff Bridges is like, let's ride some horses, and now we're fucking, and like, yeah, did you believe me? Don't you? It's like okay. I particularly liked Richard Marquand's directing in it though i will say but i do have to ask if you found out you were if you if you found out that you were possibly fucking a person who murdered their wife would you would you silkwood shower yourself because when that scene happened when she was like (laughs) disgusted and i I was like girl i was like yeah we could take a normal shower (laughs) yeah i was i mean the movie is genuinely thrilling and so like yeah on them for that and but but it's very much like wild things of like twist 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 double twist layout twist. Um, <laughs> <laughs> there is some drama with this movie. Um, uh, Jane Fonda was initially attached to the role. Um, she backed out. Um, Glenn Close was a replacement. One of the producers did not want Glenn Close because he thought she wasn't hot enough. Essentially, 
Glenn Close. Yeah, heard about I, this? I do want to call out. I do want to call out this producer by name because that's fucking gross, and okay. he should never have worked again. His name is Martin Ranselhoff, and yes. he. Uh, he like thought she was ugly and yeah. he it then made them try and reshoot the sex scene so that he could watch her, which makes Disgusting. me believe that like he didn't think she was ugly. He was gross. He's just a fucking <laughs> asshole. Yeah. Um, so, but to Glenn's credit, she heard about this and said, I don't want him to be on set ever. If I'm there, he's not there. And the director, Richard Marquand said, Okay, yeah, let's do that. Yeah. Um, and, you know, well, the movie was a success. It's not one of, like, Glenn's, you know, most noted performances, but it made money, honey. And honestly, I really like the courtroom scenes. I really like her performance in it. Um, and as you she said, wears, it's thrilling. It's, it's, yeah. kind of, it's kind of dumb. It's so funny. Yeah. Apparently, they had to reshoot the ending because in the original ending, you only saw the killer at the end's face for like a very brief amount of time. And people were like, wait, who was that? Wait, what? And I was like, and I was like, I believe that I believe that there could have been a mistake of that sort of proportion in the original. <laughs> Absolutely. Sure. Absolutely. Cause it's, it's, it's one of those things like, and he's the murder credits. <laughs> yeah, exactly. <laughs> um, so as, as Glenn is kind of like pushing past and through her, uh, her, her mommy, type casting um you get to 1987 and fatal attraction which is maybe like her signature role i think like most yeah. people would know her for this uh, movie um it's a huge box office success what i want to talk about here because i'm pretty sure we talked about it um you know in our uh why do i always forget his name michael douglas episode um she had um a lot of one, she did a lot of work for this role. She says that she was not sure about the script, not sure about taking on this role. She said, I never thought Alex Forster was a villain and right. um, that you never get her backside of the story. Um, if you don't know, Fatal Attraction is about a woman who has an affair with a man or maybe, no, he has an affair with her because he's married. She's not. Yeah, um, yeah she's and, not married. And he regrets it or whatever decides to go back with his wife and she becomes unhinged and yeah kind of murderous she, she's unhinged from very early on i re i wasn't gonna rewatch this because i was like oh i just saw it for michael douglas and even though that was two years ago at this point <laughs> uh, you know i i was like i don't and then i rewatched it today because we had a little extra time and i was like the zero to 60 on her sanity is oh, yeah. oh yeah so quick so quick and and it's funny because like you said she she did a lot of work she consulted a lot of psychiatrists and she said not one not one single psychiatrist brought up mental illness the research i did with psychiatrists even though they didn't bring up a particular mental illness um we decided that she had been incested at a very very early age by her father long enough to really damage her and um that traditionally uh, makes a very, um, somebody who has, uh, hates themselves and uh, many, many people who, who that has happened to end up taking their own lives and, and never being able to achieve fulfilling relationships. Um, that was the woman I was playing. She does so much with an incredibly underwritten character. Absolutely. This is, this is a movie 
for a time when the patriarchy was in full effect. Yeah. Famously, this the ending of this movie was rewritten, reshot against her wishes. Um, and that's why kind of at the end, like, she becomes a fucking Terminator and, like, yes. comes out from the water after literally being drowned. And, like, it's a it's a really big emotional cathartic moment where the nuclear family comes back together and everything's okay. And Michael Douglas, there are no consequences for him. He had this affair. Yeah. And, and, and the original ending Le- of this movie, she ends up committing suicide. And the knife that she uses has his fingerprints on it and he goes to jail as well. So there are consequences. Right. But there, but there's a, the thought that he might be freed because his wife finds a tape in which her character, oh, right, Alex right, right. Forrest has, has admitted to wanting to kill herself and or planning to kill herself. But either, either way. Yeah. It is really like, like literally the, the sort of scream thing where it's like the killer's yeah. never dead. And yeah, yeah, it's, it's so that ending. She, she also has said that, like, there was a scene in the original cut of the movie where it's revealed she really is pregnant with his child, you know, and they oh. dispensed with that. Um, I and didn't honestly, find that. as a viewer of this movie, I thought she was lying, you know? They, yeah. they, I, they think, edit- I think the movie is edited in a way that yes. truly makes you believe she's she's lying. Yeah. Um, it's, it's funny because I do find, I will say, you know, this movie is enjoyable. It's, it's, it's another for me, like three stars, but you, I feel like you mentally, you sort of have to have these caveats because it is edited in a way. There's like a lot of like extreme, like the music gets real loud and there's a snap zoom on someone's face. And, and it's all very manipulative in the way that it wants you to feel about Glenn Close's character, as opposed to the way it wants you to feel about Michael Douglas's character. Right. And it's interesting because he is the initiator of this affair, but he's the victim and that's the way it's played throughout the entire film. Um, I will say on the acting front, uh, she said, you know, she flew out there. She didn't have any clothes to wear during her audition. I didn't know what to do with my hair and I didn't know what to wear. I got so nervous that I took a little bit of a Valium. (laughs) You can actually find her audition online. It's very good. It's the, I will not be ignored scene. But you can see the difference in the way that she played it after she got in the role and really delved into it and really made something out of it. Oh, oh, this is the way you go about it. How you make anonymous phone calls? You show up in my apartment alone, I'm like, Jesus Christ! What am I supposed to do? You're crazy, I think you are. You're crazy, I think you are. What am I supposed to do? You don't talk to me. You change your number. I'm not going to be ignored. Oh, this is the way you do it, huh? Showing up at my apartment. What am I supposed to do? You won't answer my calls. You change your number. I mean, I'm not going to be ignored, Dan. She's very good. I mean, I, 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 I don't want to. I mean, I talked. We talked a little bit about like you know, editing all that stuff. But she is very good. Like when she has to be hot, she is hot. That sex scene with oh my like God. the water and when the- she fucking turns. She like accidentally turns on the water and then she just starts splashing on his face. I'm like, yeah, yeah girl. Yes. <laughs> like, I, it's, it's, I mean, it's an exciting movie and, you know, um, but she has said over and over again, like, this is told through a male perspective. Like, you know, no, I, there was one moment me and Derek watched together and I looked at him. I was like, do you think she's working right now? Is she, or is she just at home with like her Oreos and like ice cream calling this man over and over again? Yeah. Like well, the scene—the scene that kills me the most. First of all, by the way, just a professional 
piece of advice don't get involved with anybody whose favorite opera is madame butterfly, madame butterfly. Yeah. any puccini in fact let's let's just expand it out to all puccini don't get involved with them but the scene where she invites him to the opera and he doesn't go because he's bowling and she's sitting home like looking at the tickets sitting by yeah. the phone and listening yeah. to the arias from i was just like girl <laughs> get it together come on get your ass to madame butterfly right now yeah, meet a guy there. Whatever. Yeah. Obsess over him. Boil his bunny. Whatevs. Not boil his bunny. <laughs> boil his bunny. Um, As we get out of Fatal Attraction, during these reshoots, which she said for three weeks, she resisted, said, no, I don't want to. They basically said, if you don't do this, the movie's not coming out. So she redid them. Um, The movie was a huge success. There is a moment in this reshoot, though, where Michael Douglas smashes her head against a mirror and all that was real um she gets a concussion because of this is taken to a hospital um it's there that she learns that she is pregnant with her first child call me a dum-dum by the way i was not aware that they basically any and i'm so sorry uh women assigned female at birth women that this happens i was not aware that they basically pregnancy test you every time you go to the hospital I have a friend who was telling me that she went to the she went to the doctor for bunions, oh. and he was like, "You have to take a pregnancy test." He's like, "Those might be because of pregnancy, babe. Those bunions." <laughs> <laughs> Turns out, getting but, pregnant will fuck you up in every way possible. Every every way possible. Just don't do it. Yeah, Just, don't do it. <laughs> um, adopt. There are kids out there. Um, so, uh, f- Fatal Attraction is a big success. Blah blah blah. Um, in 1988, Dangerous Liaisons. Um, which I just saw with friends like randomly before this because he was like, this is the campiest, like most exciting, intense, fun thing. Um, I think it's because we had just watched Cruel Intentions for the same reasons. Oh, yeah, um, yeah. Um, and she gets some of the best reviews of her career with this. Um, if you don't know, Dangerous Liaisons is, uh, you know, based on the play Les Liaisons Dangerouses. Um, and she plays... Which is itself based... I do want yeah, to mention, right, by the right. way, it is itself based off a book by Pierre. Uh, I'm going to fuck this up because I'm terrible at pronouncing things. Uh, <laughs> but it's a book by Pierre Choderlos de Laclos. And this book was so scandalous that Marie Antoinette apparently had a copy and had it like bound in a different cover. So oh, no one would know oh. she was reading it. Yeah. Sexual and then they seduction. cut off her head. And that's what you get for being horny. Um <laughs> This movie, you know, it stars Glenn, Glenn, John Malkovich, and Michelle Pfeiffer. Um, if you've seen Cruel Intentions, you know this movie. Um, it is basically the same plot, but obviously not teens. <laughs> um, <laughs> Swoozie Kurtz is in this movie. She also makes an appearance in Cruel Intentions. She's the uh, the psychologist at the beginning. Uh, Dangerous Liaisons is number one hot. Number two, like I think one of the most accessible um, period yeah. dramas that you could go into. They're not even doing accents. Um, no, they, like every every lead in that movie is American. Yeah. Every lead in that movie is American. Keanu <laughs> so, Reeves is in this movie. Hello. Yeah, uh, we mentioned it briefly. I I mentioned it when we talked when we did a Keanu Reeves episode, and I was like, "There's that period in which people are like, let's cast Keanu in a period piece. Let's mm-hmm. let's get him in Dracula. Let's get him in Dangerous Liaisons." Like, and it's literally just because he looks so good in like tight pants and those flowy shirts. Okay, yeah. not everyone can pull that off, but Keanu could. Um, 
she, she I, I don't know what to say about this movie. She's so good in it. Um, she's she said she was just done breastfeeding, so that's why she has like these heaving bosoms. Oh yeah, and like not to be gross, but like they're there. <laughs> they're there. <laughs> they're there. Um, there's a really um, great moment in her um, Vanity Fair breakdown of her career where she was talking. She talks a lot about the costume designer for this movie, and she was like, he was just so brilliant. James Atchison, he won the Oscar for it. Yes. Um, but there's a scene where she's like at her bureau. And she said that he came over and was like, please sit and turn out so that you can see the shoes that I have beautifully put you in. And I remember there's a scene of me sitting at my dressing table and he said, show the shoe, show the shoe. And so I'm sitting in kind of a weird position and you can see the shoe on my foot. (laughs) I wanted to show off the garment and the lady delivers. Uh I mean, get the shoes, baby, get the shoes. <laughs> but we're, we're going to talk about shoes again, actually, funny enough. But I do want to mention, by the way, as of two fun asides, one, Glenn Close, I don't know when it started, but famously she has in her contract that she gets to yes. keep any costume yes. that she wants, which, by the way, like, what a fucking serve. Like, yeah, yeah. amazing. Flex. Uh, but also, a uh, flex. Oh, my God. Uh, but also... She showed up halfway through filming this movie. They wanted her so bad that she was like, well, I just had a baby. And I do want to mention that she she does have a daughter, uh, by the way, Annie Stark, who plays her younger self in The Wife. But we'll get there. Um, she had just had her, as you yep. mentioned. And yep. so she didn't show up till halfway through filming this movie. And... That to me is so bonkers because she has so much clear chemistry with everybody that she interacts with. On top of that, I want to say she's in like 75% of the film. She's giving you the acting that we expect. Yeah. But she's not like she has her secrets, you know? She it's it's yeah. behind the eyes. She's very cold, but somehow still fucking on fire, you know? It's the- it's such a complicated, complex thing that she's doing, and it's incredible. Spoiler alert, um, if if you don't want to know the ending of Dangerous Liaisons, now would be the time to skip ahead for about two minutes or so. But famously, they shot an extended ending where she was being led towards the guillotine. And they thought, oh, it's too much. So when they decided to shoot the actual ending as it occurs, Stephen Frears, who directed the movie, was looking at the play. And in the play, it says, you can see her whole soul on her face. And when he said that to Glenn Close, she goes, I know how to play that bitch and that's what they did and that's what they did and she does and you watch it and you look at her you're just like okay yeah yeah and i mean like not to belabor the point but like when you think about sarah michelle geller and her performance when the reveal of like everyone's reading her shit and the same thing happens like her it's all on the face um there is few uh, better um, double features than a cruel intentions dangerous liaisons night. I'm just gonna say it. Yeah, uh, for fun, you can throw in uh, the movie Valmont, but it's bad. <laughs> <So>. <laughs> That's the one where you guys are like talking over. It's yeah, just, like, exactly. Um, she does uh, immediate family in 1989. I did not watch this movie. Um, I did. I thought it was cute. We've seen this movie before. Her next big thing was 1990s uh, Reversal of Fortune, where she controversially played Sonny Von Bulow, um, which I knew nothing about. 
to be frank. Um, but as I was watching this movie, I was like, this is bonkers. This is nuts. This real life story is bonkers and nuts. Sonny Von Bula was a big um, socialite heiress, ton of money, who mysteriously fell ill into a coma. At the beginning, people thought her husband, Klaus Von Bulow, had injected her with insulin and was trying to kill her for her fortune. Uh, and then famously, uh, you know, that was overturned, turns out, you know, and, and there's, there's this yeah, big he, controversy he, and drama. He hires Alan Dershowitz to defend yes. him. Alan Dershowitz yeah. does so. Uh, famously, Alan Dershowitz then profits off it by writing a book about it, and that book becomes this movie. Yeah. And yeah, um, this movie hates both rich people and lawyers, which is yeah. kind of delicious to watch. Yeah. Um, she is a little, I would say, a little like all over the place with this role. She has said yeah. that no one in the family cooperated, obviously. Right. The mo- and Sonny then they Bambula- shit talked it afterwards, too. Yeah. Which, I mean, yeah. honestly, People made a movie about my family without my like my permission. Yeah. I would be kind of ugh, they're too. making a mo- they're making a movie basically trying to you know dive into this horrible fucking thing that happened to this woman who was by the way still alive at the time. She was in a vegetative coma for twenty odd years, I think. Yeah, she um, passed away. I want to say in two thousand eight, which is yeah, I right. think close to twenty six years in a coma, which is horrible. not great horrible yeah um and and i mean they have it's 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 a classic like rich people fighting over money and you know the movie i i i think is fine i i wasn't like you know i'm taken with it Uh, jeremy irons sort of steals the show jeremy irons is very good i was like uncle scar (laughs) hey wait wait i do have to say there's a line in the movie where someone tells him, like, you're a very weird man. And he's like, oh, you have no idea. And I was like, wait, isn't that an actual fucking line from The Lion King? <laughs> Uncle Scar, you're so weird. And he says, oh, Simba, you have no idea. I was like, okay, Jeremy Irons, you know how to do that thing really well. Um, I'm really into your Jeremy Irons, by the way. <laughs> Guys, I'm, I'm, I, cameo me. I'm, I'm on cameo as Jeremy Irons. Um, yeah, just get in contact with his agent. <laughs> please. She is in Hamlet in 1990. Um, yes. I did not watch that either. Uh, I've seen it before. It's bad. Great. Love that. Uh, you know, in the 90s, she's like, I would say in a more exploratory phase of her career. Um, we see yeah. her in, oh God, I saw Meeting Venus, which uh, is like, to me, I was like, oh, this was like a 90s movie that like, won awards but like the like niche indie awards you know like was not mainstream <laughs> it's allegedly a comedy uh but wait she won she won best actress at venice that year what the fuck for yeah. this movie um it's very Europeans, again Europeans they love stuff <laughs> yeah it's also famous like again it's her like fucking the guy in charge and I'm like enough I hate that oh um what else happened in the 90s? You know, there's like a lot of little things. She does a cameo in Hook. Um, yeah, she, as a man. As a man, yeah. which is fun. She she does the House of the Spirits, which I don't know if you watch, but is about two and a half hours too long. 
and <laughs> it's it's the campiest fucking shit I've ever seen in my entire life. Uh, but she does get a couple scenes with Meryl, and so that's oh. fun. She she plays Jeremy Irons' sister. It's it's based off of um it's based off a South American book, and so it deals really heavily with magical realism. And as I've said before, I don't think anybody does magical realism as well as as Central or South America. I think they really have a lock on it, and then I think people come and make movies out of them and they don't make any fucking sense. And yep. that's, that's this movie, you know, uh, uh, Meryl Streep is a psychic in it. Jeremy Irons oh. is a, an asshole rapist who marries her. His oh. sister is played by, uh, Glenn Close, um, Winona Ryder's their daughter. She falls in love with Antonio Banderas. And by the way, did I mention they're all Chilean? Right. Okay. Yeah. That's, <laughs> Meryl and Glenn famously have that Chilean Luke. Don't have to worry about Esteban. I'll talk to him about it. And we won't even tell him that we've met. Forgive me, I'm sorry. I don't know. I don't usually cry. It's just that I'm, I'm not used to anyone touching me. I'm sorry. It's just that I'm not used to anyone being nice to me. No one has ever shown me any tenderness. The 90s, I think, were a very um, interesting time for Glenn. 94, she does the paper, which we talked about. Um, was that? In her Michael that Keaton was from episode. a Michael Keaton episode. Um, she does Mars Attacks in 96, which is icon, campy, fun, fun, fun. Yeah. We talked about yeah, that she's, with. She's, she's Tim Burton. And Tim Burton. She's, re- she's really giving it her Nancy Reagan best. And like, oh, she absolutely. Is, she is a lifelong Democrat, big donor to Democrats, too. So she knew what she was doing. She knew. Uh, absolutely. <laughs> she her. said, a chance to shit on this. Great. Um, then in co- comes Cruella Deville in 101 Dalmatians, um, also in 1986. Um, she's often said, you know, she loved growing up with the Disney films of her time: Snow White, Cinderella, Bambi, Dumbo, all that. Um, and she was just so so excited and thrilled to be given this opportunity to play what she calls essentially a witch character. Yeah. Um, she says, "I've only ever played." one evil person in my entire career and that was Corella. and uh, this it's so evil by the way john hughes wrote the screenplay which we didn't really talk about in our john hughes episode because oh, it's right. not really considered sort of his canon john hughes wrote the screenplay and omitted some of the more evil dialogue because he thought it did would no longer fit the time period he thought it was like too dark and she added it back in Fuck she, yeah yeah she was like no i am evil yeah, the costumes were by Rosemary Burroughs and Anthony Powell, and I do want to just mention the very first scene that you see her. You see her step out of a limousine, and the first thing you see is her high heel, and the heel of her high heel is actually just a steel nail that they filed to a point and spray painted to just to get that like thin height. And she said they were so amazing to wear but awful like so painful that whenever they weren't showing her feet on camera she had she had boots designed that she could stand in because they just left her the these high heels just left her awful and and broken but but just the fact and also um disney was really upset that she you know would get to keep any of these costumes and she was like no babe yeah Yeah. they wanted to make um replicas for her and she said no no um, the originals will be fine. Thank you so much. Yeah. <laughs> Have them packed up. <laughs> yeah. She plays the vice president in Air Force One. Um, blockbuster, blockbuster. Um, she does Paradise Road, which I watched. And I was like, 
I like this movie in theory. Yeah. In practice, like at the end of the movie, the movie is just about like this choir of women who are uh, hostages of war uh, during World War II. But like the actual movie itself and like all these, like I don't, the best part for me was at the very end, like literally the very end. And they're like, uh, this movie was based on the reminiscences of these women. And I'm like, oh. I love a good reminisce. I watched yeah. it for a Kate Blanchett episode, and I believe if you go back to the episode, my review of the film was so many amazing actresses and Juliana yes. Margulies. <laughs> oh my god! Okay, what's so. what's what, Kevin? What's kind of sad is I thought the same thing when it started. <laughs> I was like, oh, Juliana Margulies was once considered on the caliber. I yeah. Mean, in between making all these blockbusters, as you mentioned, the '90s sort of her blockbuster era, she does go back to Broadway. And she wins her third Tony for Andrew Lloyd Webber's production of Sunset Boulevard. And yeah. this is, becomes one of sort of her iconic non-film roles. This is, yeah. you know, this role that keeps popping up in her life. She does it again. She actually does it again a couple times throughout her career. And I've never seen the musical version of Sunset Boulevard. I've never listened to it. I'm not the biggest. I'm queer, but I'm not a huge Andrew Lloyd Webber fan. And so... <laughs> Well, don't I'm you fucking worry. Don't worry, man. Guy. <laughs> I I saw her in the revival and <gasps> gasps, 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 gay gasps. Wow. For, I mean, that's the moment she walks out, the entire crowd stood up and clapped. And it's just, and it's not just like her coming out and like waving, like ha ha ha. It was like she commanded the entire theater. It was incredible. Her singing, flawless. Um, the gag was that she couldn't be nominated again for this because she had already won the Tony for this performance. Um, like I want 20 that years prior. In my life. <laughs> What's wild is that, you know, she won the Tony for this performance like in the 90s and played it again immaculately. What was it like two years ago? She has said that like she would love to one day put this on film. A lot of people say that once this musical is made into a movie, she will finally win her Oscar. But like, <laughs> She's played this role for so long, and it still fucking works. So I'm saying, I'm saying. If the '90s is her blockbuster era, the 2000s is sort of her indie film era, and yeah. she moves into this sort of. Um, you know, she does 102 Dalmatians in in 2000, but then the next thing she does is. Uh, Rodrigo Garcia's Things You Can Tell Just By Looking At Her, uh, which she forms this really formative partnership with Rodrigo Garcia. She's going to come back to him several times throughout her career. And I think, you know, when she finds an act, when she finds a, a director that she loves and just allows her to act and play and try different things, I think, you know, she really puts her claws into him. The, her, her, like, gloved... Uh, yes, her, her, yeah, exactly. Her, her Cruella Claus. I mean, she talked <laughs> yeah. about. She talked about like you know a lot of these movies. She's like, I took the pay cuts. I did whatever I had to do. Like I wanted to just like have fun and do these kind of like smaller, weirder movies. Um, I do want to mention really quickly. She was the voice of the mom in Tarzan, um, yes. which is kind of like a fun little tidbit. We watch, we talk about that in the Disney Renaissance episode. Um, Which is funny because that also goes back to in the 80s, she dubbed Andy McDowell's voice in the movie Greystoke, which was Andy McDowell's first movie. And the director was like, she's not very good. So they got Glenn Close to come in and dub all of Jane's lines. Yeah. Okay. I'm not going to lie. 
a lot of the aughts indies I did not get to. There's a lot of them. I I suffered through a lot of them, but we don't have to talk about them all. But just know that she she was a working actress in the 2000s. Heights in 2005. She did Pinocchio in 2002. uh, The Divorce. The Chum Scrubber. uh, Nine Lives. You know, I... I would put a pin in Nine Lives. Okay, go back okay. and watch Nine Lives. She's okay. not in it for very much, so like I didn't watch it again for her. And this could be like clouded, decade-old memory. But I really like Nine Lives when I saw. She's it, only so. one of the life, not all nine. Yeah, yeah, she's only one of the nine. Um, so in 2007, I think maybe like the a good place to like land is she starts doing TV. She's one of the yeah. first big A-list actresses to have a full starring vehicle TV show. And this was at, on FX and this was um, Damages. She had, done a, she had done a season of The Shield and she tells the FX head, he's, she's like, if you ever have anything you want to send my way, like, have at it. And they send her Damages and she's like, I love the writing. And so I signed my life away for five years to do the show. And she does it to great acclaim. It's one of her most celebrated and noted uh, known roles. Um, Even though FX cancels it after the third season, um, I think it's like AT&T audience network picks it up, but I've seen every season of damages because I really liked it. I really liked her on it. Um, Season four, the first season that was not on FX, her like sparring partner in the show is John Goodman. And it's so fucking good. It is maybe one of my favorite seasons of television ever. So I've never seen Damages, but now I'm like really like interested. Yeah, it's her and Rose Byrne who have since become lifelong friends. They apparently like still talk all the time. So I love that. Um, You know, we haven't even mentioned she does. She has done a lot of TV movie things. Yeah, Um, there some that are very critically acclaimed, others not so much. Um, if we like jump uh, after damages, you know, she starts making Albert Knobs in 2010, which is a play that she had done. Or it's a movie that she had done as a play like 14 years before. Yeah, when she was much younger. She um, and, and Albert Knobs is about a woman in Dublin in, I don't know. When, what, what time period is this? 1920s, um, where she is she she is living life as a man essentially. Yeah. Um, she doesn't know who she is. What she, you know? She's she has been assaulted and just yes. one day just decides as, as as a young child. She's also like doesn't they ask her what's your real name and she's like it's Albert. I don't my um she never gets a real name. Her name is Albert Knobs and that's it. Um, and it's a, a, a very subdued uh, Glenn. Um, I would not say yeah. like the ha- happiest movie, but like I liked I, it. I, I, I like her in it and I really like Janet McTeer in it. And it's funny because they become friends after Janet McTeer is also a big stage person. They become friends after that. Janet McTeer plays her sister on damages. And, and so, you know, you really get this. But um, I do want to say this. I don't love Albert Knobs in general. Um, uh, it's it's also uh, Rodrigo Garcia. I think it's maybe his best looking film. But um, I, I, I was trolling around Letterboxd because 
just because I was logging it, and I saw this review by username Sally Jane Black, and I did just want to give her a nod because I think it's um, a really important thing written about it. And she says this film is often classified as a trans film, and the narrative presented here is a lot of has a lot of elements familiar to any trans person. The film, however, shows both characters as cis women posing as men to escape patriarchal violence. There are two main problems with this. The first is that it's a damaging cliche that trans people are influenced or created or constant victims of violence. And even though the film ostensibly isn't about two trans men, it gets read that way by a wider public who thinks of trans men as women in drag. The second is that it buries the more interesting, more subtle commentaries on gender potentially in this narrative. The film simply fuels transphobia while trying to hand wave out of it like so many others. And I do like I can see from that perspective and I'm actually more on this person's side um, because I do think it presents a narrative in which most people look at this and think like, oh, well, this is a trans narrative. And really, it is about women attempting to escape violence by by forcing themselves to live as men. And maybe you could read Janet McTeer's character more towards that er area. But I think... uh, Albert Knob's character and story is so much sadder than that. Um, yeah, but yeah, unfortunately, I, I think the the wider audience might not quite catch on to that. I mean, I think for me, and as not a trans person or even a lesbian, right. um, for me, the reading was most more what I saw. Like Janet McTeer's character to me was at the time like there again. I think it's hard to apply these critiques to these stories because this was written way fucking back when like there was no language or vocabulary for that and so and i think glenn has said like there were no options that to even you know and so i think like with my 2021 eyes i think jenna batir's character clearly is like a butch lesbian loves her wife um you know has found a way to live in that existence you know i don't think she wants to be a man I, i but and and as and as far as Albert, I think she doesn't know anything. Yeah, she yeah, truly, truly. Like there's it's it's not even sexual. It's just about like wanting to live a successful life and be happy. Yeah. And she doesn't know how to even do that because she doesn't know what, know what love is. And so to me, there's not even like a gender aspect to it. Expect except that society has is. Doomed. Yeah, is is fucking awful to women. So it's it's a you know, I think people today are definitely are like this is a trans story just because that's like the very fucking like easiest read of it, which is incorrect. So you married a woman? I met a girl as lonely as myself. And we fixed up to get a place, sharing the rent and all that. She had her dressmaking, I had me work. But people began to talk, so we got married. What? What's your name? Albert. Your real name? Albert. I don't want people to think that I'm calling her out because she did write it. Um, she adapted the play for the film. Her heart was completely in the right place. I don't. I don't want to be like, she was wrong to do this. I just think she gives a stunning performance no matter what. I yeah. think it's yeah. her most quiet, most transformative performance. Um, yeah. 
I think she said or like way back early when she did the big chill was when she realized the things you can do on film are so different than on theater. You could actually use a close up, use the the palette to like really emote and not have to be giving out um, as much as you do on theater. And it's kind of stunning to see her be able to do both because like I said, when I saw her in Sunset Boulevard, bitch, she is going to the back of the room. When you see her in something like 101 Dalmatians, it's the yeah. same, you know, or even like something stupid like the Stepford Wives, you know? Yes, yes. And that is a very stupid movie. <laughs> um, so, okay, Albert Knobs, 2010. Um, she continues doing, you know, independent movies. Uh, she does Five to Seven, Low Down. She also does big movies. She does Guardians of the Galaxy, where she right. plays um, Nova Prime. Um, and she says that she still wants to do more superhero movies. She's like, I fucking loved it. I love pretending. I loved the green screens and all that <laughs> bullshit. She's like, I love it. Yeah, she got to pretend even more than she normally does, you know? Yeah. She does What Happened to Monday, which gets bought by Netflix, Wild Wedding, which is like a, not an Amazon Prime original, but I think it's basically the only way you can see it nowadays. Yeah. And yeah. Because I think, as we sort of said, uh, she'll do, she'll just keep acting. You know, yeah. people pitch around stuff and she'll just keep doing it. I did want to give a shout out to to the girl with all the gifts, which is a zombie movie. And we famously talked about zombies and our zombies on film episode. Uh, I had avoided this movie because I thought like, ugh, like, no offense, um, young adult nonsense. Oh. And oh. Uh, shut the podcast wrong. down. Shut the podcast down. <laughs> Leave meeting. Um, I... I don't know. I really like this movie, and she plays a doctor in it who's trying to cure this is like plant-based zombie apocalypse, and it's dark and it's gritty, but it's also like really human. And uh, I think it's one of those movies that really flew under the radar. I think if you don't like zombie movies, it will not be for you. But if you uh, if you do like them, it's it's an interesting take and much more interesting than I gave it credit for. Also, her sister in law loves zombie movies, so she called her immediately and got her a role as a zombie in the film. So amazing! That is again icon supporting icons. We have to talk about the wife, which is uh, yeah, her what people thought she was going to win her Oscar for. She was, she won everything but the Oscar for that role. Um, I liked The Wife. I think it's not like the yeah. most amazing movie, but I think she's very good in it. And um, it also came out literally at the peak of the Me Too movement. Um, so it felt very timely. Uh, yeah, if, I, I, uh, I, you're lucky enough to have seen her on stage. I never have. So I felt like the wife was as close as I, I've gotten unless, you know, she, she's in something else and I get to see it. I was like, oh, well, this is, this is like a stage play and it never really justifies itself outside of that. But like, <laughs> I'm enjoying the performances I'm getting. I have seen, um, <laughs> uh, Jonathan Price on stage and he's very good on stage, but, um, the, I was right in the front row and the, the curtain came crashing down at the end of Act One, and you just heard him go. If you're sitting close enough, you just what the fuck was that? Oh. <laughs> so. Not in my theater. Um, yeah. The wife is very good. You know, I, I don't know that there's a lot to say. I mean, it's 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 glen at her. You know. Yeah. But have I ever said I'm done with this marriage? I'm walking away. No, you had affairs. Oh, 
and I've regretted every fucking one of them. Oh, yeah, right. You'd sob in my lap and you'd beg me to forgive you, and I, and I always would because, you know, somehow you convinced me that my talent made you do it. Oh, shit. And then when I was too angry or too furious or too hurt to write, you would give me one of your famous back rubs and you'd say, use it, Joni, use it. I never said that. Oh, yes, you did. I never yes, said that. And then it, last year, we get Hillbilly Elegy, which is, I don't know, Ron Howard... Yeah. Appalachian fantasy Republican nonsense. Um, yeah. She does say just, that, you know. Just pull yourself up by your bootstraps. Yeah. It's the just American like, way. Yeah. Just, just get into <sighs> Yale. Just get, just get into Yale. Just get into be it. White, just be white and get into Yale. And if you're poorer, make sure you're not brown. Um, <laughs> truly, that movie, I mean, like all the policy of that movie are fucking nuts. Uh, I think her and Amy Adams do their darndest and more uh, swinging for the fences. Uh, She has said that they had a lot of time to rehearse for this movie, got to go meet the actual people that these characters are based on. Yeah. They came to the set and everything. And she even says that she pulled it back because of the actual women are even more. She gets nominated for the Oscar famously. Um, Everyone was like, Oh my God, if she fucking wins for this, it's going to be a crime. Um, yeah. Well, don't worry, gals. She didn't win. Uh, <laughs> she's one of the... Not that I ever like to talk about the Razzies because they're stupid and they fucking suck, but like she's the one of the few people who has ever been nominated for both the Oscar and the Razzie for the same performance. So, yeah. just to give you an yeah. idea of how polarizing her yeah, yeah, that's, character is. That's a really good word. I mean, like the, the book itself was polarizing. There are a lot of people that do like it. They are yeah. wrong. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> You have wrong opinions, Jan. Sorry. Yeah, it's that whole thing of like, well, my life was bad too, and I figured it out. It's like you shouldn't have to figure out how to pay for your anyone you love to go to rehab. Like right, we shouldn't. Right. Ha- it, the onus is not on us that like the entire medical fucking um, and health system of a United States fucking has failed us. And like, and I'm I'm sorry. Like no no judgments or aspersions on this real person who may in fact run for fucking Senate or the house or something. Peter Thiel really wants him to. And I know that's very political, but like his like countdown to when he has to leave to make his meeting feels sociopathic. I'm sorry. It does. Yeah. Yeah. (laughs) She also just had a movie come out with Mila Kunis. Um, It's called four good days. It is also having to deal with the opioid crisis. I did not watch it, but it was again directed by Rodrigo Garcia. I think it premiered at Sundance. I don't know yeah. where it is is available right now. I'm sure it's, it's on. It's currently available on demand. You can rent it. Um, you can purchase it probably on like YouTube or, or such. I watched this movie and um, I didn't. I didn't love it, but I. I think it's a much more honest. It is. It's so funny because it's it's both a much more honest portrayal of having to deal with a person who has um, a hard drug addiction, such as crack or heroin. Yeah. Um, then hillbilly elegy is um, not to get too personal. I do have a direct relation who has a drug problem. And the first time I saw Mila Kunis in this movie, I burst into tears because she looked so much like this person. Um, it's awful to watch. It's terrible to go through. I think this movie could have been, 10 times darker um, and still 
it's it's unfortunate because it is a little Hollywoodized, but uh, I think um, Mila Kunis is really fantastic in the movie. I don't think Glenn Close is fantastic in the movie, but that's okay, you know. And I think it's worth people's people's time to watch it. Um, hmm. But it is it's not the easiest. It's definitely much more realistic than Hillbilly Elegy's sort of like sepia toned tint to right. flashbacks, you know. Right, right. Um, that kind of like gets us to the where we are with Glenn right now. I just really wanted to kind of talk a little bit about um, not only her personal life, but just, you know, her, her kind of thesis of acting. She says that she just loves the theater so much. She loves the energy. She loves the back and forth. Um, and her just like learn again. She, she said, it's like, I've never been to acting school. I was, I went right. to, you know, I got a BFA. I think and this is from my very subjective point of view, that a great actor is able to make p- people feel what they're feeling and go through whatever story or experience they are experiencing as an actor. And that means that you have to have an authentic connection to the where the humanity is in the character you're playing so that you can empathize and not judge. And, and I think... Um, Anybody seeing a story, uh, however it is on stage or television or movies, they want to feel something. You know, we want connection. We want emotion. And I think a great actor um, creates that connection and puts their audiences through an experience that hopefully they won't forget. She's been married three times. Um, I think she has said that PTSD and trauma from her time in the cult have really made it hard for her to have any enduring relationships. Um, we did say that she does have a daughter um, who played her, the younger her and the wife. If you see the wife, the yeah. flashbacks. And I thought she was really good, too. Yep. But, yep. the, but literally, I spent the first 10 minutes before going to IMDb going, damn, this girl looks an awful lot like Glenn Close. <laughs> Yeah, absolutely. Um, she um, had a relationship with uh, John Stark, who is the that's the father of um, their their daughter Annie. Um, they I don't believe they ever married. Actually, they just kind of yeah. were together and then separated. Her last marriage ended in 2015, uh, so she is a single lady. So, guys, gals, <laughs> Glenn is available. Um, what else? You know, she ha- she's done a lot for um, women rights, same sex marriage. I I th- when I think of Glenn Close and her activism, I mostly think about her mental health. Um, work. yes, absolutely. She she's talked and made commercials. Uh, you know, to destigmatize uh, mental health um, issues like bipolar disorder, um, schizophrenia. Um, yeah, I think- her, si- her her sister famously was diagnosed with bipolar disorder. Her sister right. Jessie, um, right, right, and they've they've since written a book. In 2015, it came out. Uh, they wrote it together, called "Resilience: Two Sisters and a Story of Mental Illness." Um, she had her DNA sequenced in order to publicize her family's history of mental illness. Yep. So yeah, she is a big, big advocate. I'm just not afraid to talk about it. I'm just not afraid. It's to me, it's it's a natural thing to talk about. For me, it's part of being a human being. It's part of the human condition. So um, it's empowered me, actually. I think being able to talk about mental, specific mental illnesses and mental health um, is empowering. I think she does still kind of feels like this guilt of one of her most 
iconic performances being um, Alex Forster in Fatal Attraction, where people were just like, oh, that's what a crazy person looks like. And if you right. like, like, and I think this is her way to be like, people don't understand that role, that people think that if you are mentally unwell, that this could be, you know, a spooky, creepy, cra- like scary thing. It's not, you know? And so she's doing her best to destigmatize and kind of curb that. And then on top of that, I think, you know, she, she's talked a lot. It's really hard for her to process the trauma of growing up in this cult and how uh, her family has had to deal with mental health and how, because if they didn't, they were vulnerable to being part of this cult. She found this platform to really uh, change the discourse on mental health. So icon. Uh, Gavin, why don't we get into our reviews? What do you think we should do? One stars, five stars. Let's start with our one-star review. You said you missed a lot of the, like, indie sort of things in the, the 2000s. And, you know, you really, you really dodged several bullets. And, hey, listen, anybody out there who's, like, mad that we didn't cover every little idiosyncratic performance that she gave, sorry. We try and keep these shows under two hours, which is why we only do bi-weekly shows so you can listen at your pace and so you don't have to listen to every episode all in one sitting yes Uh, so we're never gonna get to every movie sorry about it but in 2003 she plays a kind of smaller role in this movie called lay divorce okay (laughs) yeah lay divorce Divorce is a merchant ivory film um it's a film in which kate hudson um moves to france with naomi watts their sisters somehow and um I already feel bad because it's like Kate Hudson and Naomi Watts. Like I know they're both like Triishas who <laughs> are well, let- talented in their own respects, but like especially 2003, that's when they were really like trying to make it happen. Okay, let me let me tell you, Naomi Watts is the bigger Triisha in this in this equation. Wow. Yeah. Oh, it's bad. Um. Uh, so Naomi Watts plays Roxy. Uh, she's pregnant and her husband just walked out on her. Isabel, her sister, finds out that he has a mistress, a Russian woman named Magda Telman, um, who he wants to marry after he secures a divorce from Naomi Watts. I don't want to get too deep into the plot because it's both so simple and so long. It's over two hours. And I was just like, oh my God, why are we doing this? Um but essentially, when we're if we're talking about Glenn Close's character, Kate Hudson Isabel gets a job working for Glenn Close. She's an American author who's been living in Paris. Olivia Pace. Um, she's Roxy um, Naomi Watts's friend. I don't know how, and it's never really fully explained why she would be friends with her. And she's basically just like this rich woman who like meddles in people's lives and. Um, she this is there's a it's a nothing role and like i'm glad she got a check i hope it paid for a helicopter or something like <laughs> i hope she spent it on something good cuz she is bored this film is boring and she is bored and they even try and give her this like clever little scene kate hudson starts dating a politician who is distant distantly related to her i don't know why they also had to throw in light incest in the film but 
at the towards the very end of the movie it's revealed that glenn close has had a previous relationship with him and she's like oh let's toy with her by buying her the same scarf and i think it's meant to be like this delicious little like malicious moment and it's like this is nothing this is nothing dina are we both on the same errand are we both buying gifts could it be for the same person Mine is a thank you, farewell gift because she's just finished helping me with all my papers. What about yours? Mine is only a thank you gift. Didn't you give me a scarf too? Should we watch the last play? Oui. At the end, I mean. A purse at the beginning, a scarf at the end. It's so bad. It it has no tone. It has no pace. Uh, it's directed. I mentioned it before. You know, it's a Merchant Ivory film. Whenever they do modern stuff, it usually just doesn't work out. James Ivory's direction in this is very confused. There's a CG purse at the end of the movie that I was just like, "What are we doing, guys?" CG purse? Could they yeah. not find a purse? It it has to float through Parisian rooftops. So that's right, the, of course, yeah. that's how they get you. Um, okay. My one star review. Um, I, I had something else in mind and then I watched something today just because I thought it was going to be stupid and fun. And it was just stupid, not fun. Uh, and so my one star review goes to the 2001 um, South Pacific adaptation. Oh. I don't know if you saw this. I saw um, it when it aired and I was no. just like, I was like, I don't need to rewatch this. So. So. So, uh, to be fair, this is an ABC um, movie, is a, is a television movie, but it was, I'm assuming, um, billed as this big event TV moment. Um, it stars Harry Connick Jr. Um, and Glenn Close, uh, and it's, like, budget, where was it? It, I don't, it went to Glenn and in the rights, I guess. Um, this is a Rogers, Rogers and Hammerstein um, classic show. It's one of their, I would say, like a, a top tier uh, R&H yeah. show. Um, it is very problematic. Um, yeah, but super problematic. For, I was waiting for you to get there. For the time, and Derek like knows so much, but he was like, for the time, it was very progressive and radical. Um, yeah. But the, I was saying, I was like, it, it's basically all the bad things of Miss Saigon are here. Um, but on top of that there is a lot of like hey you're being racist what the fuck so the show is ostensibly about you know being like hey Glenn Close um, stop being a racist and just like fuck this guy who has black children Um, if you don't know South Pacific is this big romantic uh, musical the war is going on falling in love um yeah, i don't the plot is very like loosey goosey to me this this woman who's from little rock arkansas uh falls in love with this french guy this french guy has black children because he was once married to a black woman um she's like what you had sex with a black womana not i meanwhile harry connick jr is um whole plot is like this is the problematic part of all like there's this woman called bloody mary a uh, very racist character she wants to basically like sell off her daughter to this like white officer he falls in love with her even though they don't speak the same language it's a whole fucking thing 
So, like I said, South Pacific in itself is very problematic. I'm giving this my one-star review because Glenn Close, who I thought could do anything, is so beyond miscast in this. It is fucking crazy. She's, like, clomping around being like, Me? Yes, I'm just a little hillbilly from Little Rock, Arkansas. And you must think I am so, um, like... the, the, The entire thing is, like, how can I be some from so far away and you're from a different world. He's this shishi French person. She, Nelly, is supposed to be this like small town hick. And Glenn ain't doing it. She, <laughs> I, I was like, Glenn, you are the most chic woman. Her haircut looks incredible. She's wearing the fuck out of like these overall like um, army nurse things. Um, it's, it's a, it's a no for me. Like be, beyond like a, um, critique of South Pacific as a musical and its problematicness, she just does not make sense in this role. There's the song um, "Gonna Wash That Man Right Out of My Hair." As we you get to it, it's supposed to be very like down on you know the country roads and and hokey pokey. Getting close. I'm sorry, just cannot do hokey pokey. Um, <laughs> It's it it feels very like she's Mary Poppins or some shit in the middle of this like kind of um, rough and tumble like wannabe Arkansas thing. It's it's it feels uncomfortable. I was like, who who thought that Glenn should be doing this? Before I go any further with this thing, I just better not get started. What is it, Nelly? What's the trouble? No trouble. There's not going to be any trouble because I've made up my mind. It's all off. Don't look so dramatic about it. Things like this happen every day. What? I'm gonna wash that man right out of my hair. I'm gonna wash that man right out of my hair. I'm gonna wash that man right out of my hair and send him on his way. There are some like good songs in the show. Um and oh, she yeah. has and she has a nice voice, but like some some enchanted evening evening is gorgeous. Yeah. yeah. So and also um You've got to be carefully taught is literally a song about how racism is taught to us as I mean, Harry Connick Jr. is like, no, you're not this way just because someone told you right. to be racist. And and, and there, there are consequences for that. And so, like, again, there are like good things about the show, but there are also a lot of uh, uncomfortable things. Um, and, and and paired with a, a miscast gun close. Uh, I'm sorry, babe, but that's that's a one star for me. <laughs> um was there anything else that you saw that you didn't particularly like i thought the wild wedding was yeah real bad roof um, stoof yeah that was hard to get through and i'm a huge patrick Sturt fan but even i was oh baby no we did mention that the 2000s are, are the really sort of back and forth time and i think the lowest um is the safety of objects which is just a terrible film and it broke my heart because it is directed by uh rose trochi who wrote and directed go fish which we talked about in our queer cinema episode and i was just like no rose trochi do better but uh yeah. Glenn close is the best thing in that movie and she gives this amazing uh monologue about she's taking care of her son joshua jackson who has been in a car crash and left in a vegetative coma and she's talking about how she prayed. The only time she's ever prayed for anything, she prayed for him to live. If you were ever, ever in a praying situation with him, be specific. 
include certain clauses. It's not enough to assume that if a person lives, they'll be okay. Because God has a wicked sense of humor. And even though he knows you mean more, he'll only give you exactly what you ask for. And it's heartbreaking. It's really heart-rendering. But that movie's terrible and a slog to get through. Um, but there, but there is there's stuff all around that area. I think. Oh, I, I think if I had a backup one star review, it would be what happened to Monday, which was a sci-fi film that was so stupid. I felt dumber just watching it, and she's really bad in it. So there you go. Even even the undimitable Glenn Close. She fucks up. She fucks up every now and then. But let's wash those reviews right out of our hair. Yes. And get into our five-star reviews. There are a lot of bangers out there. Um, but and, and there's also a lot of uh, discourse about when should Glenn have won her Oscar? When did she most deserve it? And frankly, I just don't think we talk about 101 Dalmatians enough in that conversation. Really? Yeah, there. I said it. I this, is I not, th- this is not the route I thought you were going, but I will say, as much as I, that movie is not for me, she is for me the entire time. She, in this movie, is unparalleled. I think it's also, this performance informs so much, I think, of uh, a lot of, of other performances later by other people. I, as I was rewatching this, I was like, The Devil Wears Prada... Would never Miranda Priestly that that performance in that role is so much of Glenn Close doing Corella, um, and and she she's talked about you know like she wanted to be very specific with the way she spoke. She was taking from different people that she knew to make this performance, and she wanted to be extra mean because she realized that's how it was going to be really funny. She spoke just with. Every single thing that I am going to say is going to be very specific. And like, that was, and she holds it up the entire time. I mean, God, it's hard to even pick a moment from the movie that, because she, like, from, from even the beginning of being like, Anita, darling, to just like her absolute fucking bitch. If you want to see reading and shade, when she first meets the husband, Anita, darling. Anita, those dazzling dogs. And you must be Rufus. Uh, It's it's Roger, and it's a pleasure, Miss Deville. What's a pleasure? Uh, Making your acquaintance. Such a sweet thought. I wish I could reciprocate. Tell me, darling, you married him for his dog. Be sure to let me know when the blessed event occurs. (laughs) Well, it won't be for another eight months. The puppies, darling. I've no use for babies. She literally says bebe. She she does say bebe, and I I clocked it too. I was like, I was was like, like, oh. I was like, this is Moira. Like, but this was literally in 1996. There was a light bulb moment in my head. I was like, oh my God, she created this entire like lane of character that we'll see over and over again later in other performances bitch this is the blueprint and she i mean this is a family movie like there are a lot of like kind of dumb dumb things that happen um but it's for kids and i remember watching it as a kid and loving it and as an adult like 
you're able to get through all that kitty nonsense because she is so commanding. She just is everything in this, like literally from the nails on that glove to her just like absolutely shitting on. She says, Anita, we've lost more good women to pregnancy and husbands than in wars. Like (laughs) the way she's able to just deliver these lines, it is a master class in being a badass bitch. Just every decision she makes in that movie is the right one. And, and, And even like, you know, because of Cruella that's out now, everyone's talking about how, or remembering what she, she dressed up as Cruella at the uh, premiere. Like she was having a fucking blast doing this. Um, And if you haven't like revisited in a while, like it's again, like the perfect, if you want to do a double feature of this and Cruella, like uh, it's she, she's making choices and they are all right. Like you said, they're all correct. Literally, literally a month ago, because she's producing the new, she was asked about Corella, and she said, um, I would love to play her again one more time. I have a great story to make another Corella with my Corella. Uh, she's tight-lipped about the details, but teases Corella comes to New York and disappears down the sewers. Oh, sh- <sighs> <laughs> and there, that imagination, that creativity is just like firing on all cylinders. Um, uh, God, what an icon. And so I, I made you go first because we don't ever talk about our picks beforehand. So they're a surprise and they're fresh. And I really thought you were going a different route. And I was like, cool, we're going to have the same five star review. That's fine. That's that's good, you know. But uh, my five star review is 1988's Dangerous Liaisons. Yeah. I love her performance as the Marquis Isabelle de Mertoy. I think it is so much more than you could look at this movie in surface level, be like, Oh, it's a celebration of badness. It's these terrible people. They're doing terrible things. They're destroying lives and they're doing it for their own entertainment. But I think, you know, very close to the surface, not even having to dig very far down, just to, just to scoop off the top, uh-huh. you find a very angry movie yes. about yes. about rich people who are so bored and so ill-content with themselves that they have no other choice but to meddle in other people's lives for their own entertainment. But I think what adds the layer to Mertoy's character, what makes her more interesting, is she's a woman in a time period in which she's expected nothing more than to pump out babies. And that's it. She's an incredibly wealthy woman, so that's her only responsibility. But that's fully it. And she is somebody who's become so embittered by the patriarchal society that she's decided to get her revenge. So she has an extra layer. Valmont, you know, John Malkovich's character is everything I just said. He's greedy. He's loathsome. He he meddles in people's lives purely for his own entertainment and to get what he wants in the end. And she has a speech in the movie about basically her goal is to make every man she meets, you know, fall to her heel. When I came out into society, I was 15. I already knew that The role I was condemned to, namely to keep quiet and do what I was told, gave me the perfect opportunity to listen and observe. Not to what people told me, which naturally was of no interest, 
but to whatever it was they were trying to hide. I practiced detachment. I learned how to look cheerful while under the table I stuck a fork under the back of my hand. I became a virtuoso of deceit. And in the end, I distilled everything to one wonderfully simple principle. Win or die. I think it's very easy to sort of just play up that delicious wickedness. But she adds so much more anger yep. and pain and yep. hurt to it. She's not only, you know, because I think there, even today, that there are a lot of women who live their wealthy or middle America lives who are content with what they, with their station, what they're given in life. With this character though, she's smart. And she's like, how fucking dare you? Like, I am smart. I can do so much. And all you want from me is this. And if I, and literally it's about like, I am a complete woman and I cannot even seek out the pleasures of life because you have deemed them to be unholy or unbefitting of a of of me, and yeah. and she's like, how fucking dare you? If I want to fuck, I'm gonna fuck. If I want to like, you know, it, she 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 is this, like you said, so fucking angry. Society, her entire place in life, is confined to these like little fucking four walls, and she wants more. And 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 she's gonna do what she she wants to do get it and like the tragedy of the entire movie is you know like it catches up with her and and society yeah. wins society wins in the end and once again this is not me defend like her character is just as bad as Valmont yeah but she has a reason for it that feels so much more concrete and interesting and a, you know it, it rounds the edge for her and makes her feel like a full person. We haven't even really talked about the Michelle Pfeiffer of it all, but essentially, you know, the plot is these are two very rich people and they keep you know, increasing betting, um, manipulating people around them. He wants Michelle Pfeiffer because she's this virginal uh, woman that he wants to just sort of deflower and, and humiliate. And he doesn't, ca- Oh no, he doesn't count on falling in love with her. Oh no. Uh, yeah. And, and Glenn close wants revenge for a lover that left her, uh, who is going to be married to this young woman played by Uma Thurman. And so she basically is using John Malkovich's Valmont character to get her revenge. And, uh, unfortunately, or fortunately, depending on how you like how the plot goes out, they betray each other and it, it becomes a battle of wills very briefly towards the end. And yeah, it's it's just also it's just a sumptuous, gorgeous film. Just like finding out that she wasn't even there for half of the filming to me was bonkers because, wild. Yeah. because she just so easily slips into that, you know, into that role. On a personal note, maybe I'll cut this out. My college did this. Um, my friend Mara painted these gorgeous, gorgeous floors for and sets for it. And they moved up the time period to right before World War II, which, mm. uh, like, this, let me tell you, the sets were great. The performances were good. Moving it up there doesn't make any fucking sense because <laughs> the whole idea is that when this, when this play ends you know, everybody's going to get their comeuppance because the French Revolution is right around the corner. The aristocracy's all going to lose their heads. Right. And this 
play tried to be like, oh, everything's going to be all right in the end. And then, you know, the Nazis invade France. And it's like, no, I'm what? sorry. The aristocracy no. did really well underneath yeah. the Nazis. <laughs> like, they were not going after them. Right, sorry. right, right. Yeah. So, but anyways, uh, was there anything else that you saw that you particularly liked? Um, I think Fatal Attraction, you know, she she yeah. does such a really good job in such a complicated role. I think there's a reason why it's one of the things that people will always be talking about with her. Um, for as kooky as we think the natural is, I think she's really good in that. Yes. And it's just not a large role. I did want to give a shout out to Cookie's Fortune. I'm a huge Robert Altman stan, and I like her performance a lot in that movie. Uh, we talked about it a little bit in the Julianne Moore episode. So, yeah, she's particularly good in that. Um, Mars Attacks, again. Mars like, Attacks, yeah. yeah. As as the president's wife, as the Nancy Reagan of it all, she's, she's very, very funny. And it, it may not be my favorite movie, but I do think her performance in Albert Knobs deserves... You know. recognition i mean like yeah. it, it's it's a slow movie it's not like terribly exciting um but it's also just like seeing the makeup I, you know it's very convinced she's so convincing it's kind of stunning i think it kind of speaks to like why it was so hard for her to make because yeah it's like a damned if you do damn if you don't type thing um clearly was not going to be a mainstream like mega hit um but then you know it's it's a it's comp. I, I would say it's a very complicated subject matter because it yeah. doesn't fit nicely into the like mainstream LGBT queer cinema box that is available to us now. Um, yeah. So yeah, weird movie, but she's really good in it. <laughs> I think that's a good place for us to get into our fast forward. So why don't we talk a little bit about what's coming up for Miss Glenn Close? As you mentioned earlier, you know, she has this new film out, Four Good Days. It is a 2021 release, even though it already played. Um, she's also executive producing Corella, so she's going to be making a, a you know, big bank off of that. Hopefully she convinced Emma Stone, who's also executive producing, by the way, uh, to put in her contract that she gets to keep some of those outfits. Because I saw Corella and... Trust me, she could rock some of those outfits. Okay, outfits. Yes, I hear. Yeah. I, I've I've been hearing a lot of good things about it. So good for them. It's it's not my fa- the movie in general is not my favorite, but it's also not for me. None of the I like not to shit on your five star view, but just like none of the one hundred and one Dalmatians things are for me. I love her performance. I love the style of her specifically, but like I don't give a shit about those dogs. I, I like say, dogs. I, I was but, gonna say just say you fucking hate dogs, Gavin. Yeah. No, I like dogs. I just don't care about them getting revenge on a rich lady <laughs> she's not like a rich lady she's like a murderess yeah whatever <laughs> she's like a, her parents were killed by dogs or whatever <laughs> and now she's bad <laughs> we said that there's like maybe a sequel to 102 dalmatians happening yeah i doubt it i doubt that's ever gonna happen but i i love the fact that she's still championing it you know in the same article she mentioned sunset boulevard and she said And once again, this was May of this year, Uh so a month ago. She says, we're very close. We're very, very close. We're ready to go. She says, Andrew Lloyd Webber is still working on new music for the big screen version. I feel passionate about it. I feel if I could just bring her home to the movies, I don't give a shit what I do for the rest of my life. I'll play grandmothers until I die. Bitch. And, And honestly, like, 
I said it earlier, not the world's biggest Andrew Lloyd Webber fan. I want this for her. Yeah. I want her to have it. I want her to get it. I want her to get. Oh, that's the other thing we have to talk about. And we are wrapping up, people, I promise. Many times on the show, we've said the Oscars don't matter until they do. In her specific case, they don't. But with a caveat, which is she's been nominated eight times, four times for Best Actress, four times for Supporting Actress. She's now tied with Peter O'Toole as the most nominated actor without a win. I think the unfortunate thing is because people put so much preciousness around the Oscars, they create such a a narrative arc of it is she's now unfortunately in that place that if she wins an Oscar, people will always say, oh, well, she was nominated all those times and then she finally won it. And if she doesn't win an Oscar, people will be like, oh, well, she was nominated all those times and she just never won. And that's not what it should be about. It should be about the performance. It should be about the work. It is not a reflection on her work. It is not a reflection on the movies that she's in. And it's very frustrating for me as somebody who's very wishy-washy about the Oscars because it's not like when we were talked about Ang Lee and it's like the first Asian yeah person to win a director it's she's not gonna be breaking down any barriers for winning this award at this point so it's just become this sort of like nebulous cloud this asterisk that's always going to be in her career and i think that's really unfortunate because once again it's not really a reflection on the work that she produces yeah i mean sorry that that's my personal opinion no you're you're right i mean like it's not like when Rita moreno won it's not you know like when viola davis won you know, she she knows that she is one of the most, and we know that she's, you know, she has three Emmys, three Tonys, and three Golden Globes. Like, yeah, we know. We all know. Um, and, but you're right. It's kind of like, it'll always just be like hanging around. And it's kind of, I think with Sunset Boulevard, like, this is a role she's literally been playing for 20 plus years. Um, and it's, it, it would just be such a great cathartic sigh of like, she is bringing Norma home. I, I want to see this movie so badly. I, <laughs> I, I want it. I want it, Daddy, and I want it now. I will not be ignored. <laughs> I think she's fucking cool. I think every time I like listen to her talk, I'm just like, Glenn is fun. She genuinely. Lo- yeah, she loves playing. And I am, even though, you know, she went through the, the aughts with, like, some questionable um, roles. I love that she's, like, putting her name behind stuff, doing these smaller things, taking risks, taking chances. And, you know, like like she said, she's like, okay, fine, I'll, I'll play grandmas now if I get to do this thing, you know. Right. She, she, I mean, she, she's just such, she's just such a person. And I think, like I said, going into this, I had kind of put her in this box of being this sort of grand dame. But she's like, no, she loves the Mets and she loves to swear and she likes weed. And like, yeah. and it's just this thing that I was just like, oh, yes, like she's a human. Yeah. And she's I, and also, I kind of, when we, when we do these people, sometimes I, I distance myself from that and I forget that. And I'm like, oh no, you know, she's kind of a freak, you know, yeah. she, she like is she, always down for a bit. She's yeah, not they'll call too her cool up for the Oscars. She'll do the butt dance, yes. you know, and like, she's not too cool for anything. I think she kind of knows her place in, in, um, you know, the culture and she's willing to be the butt of the joke. Like, 
I think she's just really f- someone who I would like love to hang out with. And yeah. I was taken by how quick she is to be like, bitch, there was a costume designer who was incredible on this. The cinematographer, she's ready to right. share the spotlight and give the shine to the people around her. She knows that she is not in a vacuum creating this wonderful <laughs> art. There are really talented people around her that she's been really lucky to work with. And she's going to let you know about that, um, which I don't know that I hear often or all the time with stars of her caliber. Um, Yeah. Glenn Close. She's one of the good ones. What can I say? And she truly is. And and she deserves it. Yeah. And she, and she's all, I will last thing to say, she's also one of the, uh, I I think most well-spoken celebrities who has, in this past year, the pandemic and the social justice Black Lives Matters movement been like, yeah, we have never had a free and fair and just society towards black people to gay people. And it's about fucking time that we fucking change that. And I was like, okay, pop off Queen Glenn Close. <laughs> yeah, no, I agree. She's she's amazing and and she deserves her flowers and i'm glad we're able to give them to her but i think that wraps up glenn close thank you for just being here and with us uh but if you want to contact our show the mixed reviews you can find us on twitter at at the mixed reviews we're also on facebook just type in the mixed reviews if you want to email us you can email us at reviewsmixed at gmail.com we're also on instagram just type in the underscore mixed underscore reviews And if you want to listen to more episodes, just like you listened to the entirety of this one, hopefully in parts, (laughs) you can find us on Apple, Spotify, Stitcher, Google, Audible. We are everywhere. And if you do listen to us on Apple Podcasts, please stop by, leave us a five-star rating, and write us a little review. We'll read it on the show. We love getting them. Uh, Yes. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, we haven't also, gotten one in a long time, and it makes me sad. Don't be sad. Not during Pride season. Remember, friends, we have merch available at Redbubble. Um, you just type in mixed reviews, and you'll find our cute little shirts and stickers and things um, of that nature. Um, Gavin was like kind of taunting me earlier that maybe we should come out with some Pride merch, which uh, I'm kind of like thinking would be fun. Um, yeah, I tried to dangerous liaisons him. I was like, "What? Yeah, what yeah. if?" You I'm. Uh, there will be no promises here, honey. But uh, <laughs> we'll try our best to get something up. Um, fun for Pride. We love corporate Pride. Pride is corporate, okay? And we're gonna make. <laughs> we're gonna fucking make money off of our and queerness, no matter and what. We're the world's smallest corporation. So <laughs> yeah, LouisandGavin.com to everyone who has bought stuff thank you so much and thank you for listening we love you guys get vaccinated um i want to see you guys out there doing things thanks bye bye isn't it rich isn't it queer losing my time in the slate in my career And where are the clowns There ought to be clowns Well Maybe Next year